0: I'm Alex Semenzato, and this is the CMO Podcast. This episode is presented by ELO, the Creators Network. ELO is a global community of artists dedicated to creative excellence, built by artists for artists. If you're a creator and you want to create a profile and collaborate with your peers, or you just love art and creativity and you want to check out some of the incredible works from all over the world, you can now by heading to ello.co What's up, everyone? How are you? I hope you're having an excellent day and an even better week, whatever you've been up to. In this week's episode, I speak with Paul Warmington, Paul is a renaissance entrepreneur of the media, advertising, digital, marketing, and communications industry. He has held leadership positions at the highest levels both globally and domestically in management, media, integrated business, brand, digital, and communication strategy at holding companies including IPG, YNR Inc., WPP, and MDC Partners. He co-founded Naked Communications Americas, founded The Media Kitchen, and was named one of the 10 most creative innovative people in marketing and advertising by Fast Company. Paul is currently the CEO of Canvas Worldwide, a creatively driven media and communications agency named Adweek's 2020 Breakthrough Agency of the Year that also aims to reinvent its marketplace at scale. Under Paul's leadership, Canvas has grown to become the world's second largest independent media agency. Paul is also a senior fellow at Columbia University advising in the cross-discipline Committee for Global Thought Initiative, as well as a member of the Digital Storytelling Lab. Born in Africa, raised in the UK, and now a US citizen, Paul has traveled extensively around the world, both professionally and personally. In this episode, we discuss Paul's incredible career journey to date, he shares some fantastic stories and insight on what it was like working in New York at the tail end of the Mad Men era, being an entrepreneur and witnessing the many transformations that have occurred in the advertising world, what it was like when Google and Facebook came along, and the importance of embracing change. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm great, Alex. How are you doing? I'm really good, thanks. It's absolutely fantastic to have you on the SEMO podcast. Thank you for sharing your time with us today. And we love to always have our icebreakers round, so shall we get started? Yeah. Awesome. So, nice and easy, favourite colour? Black. Coffee or tea?
1: Coffee, unquestionably. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually currently uh, drinking a Ugandan coffee oh, blend wow I, I grew up in uganda and so nespresso oh now have this
0: uh anyway that was i just think an i ad- had that one it's the black capsule with the gold swirl yes yes it is, yeah. it is. you got it yeah 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 very Each nice way, i try a different
1: part of the world so even under lockdown i can vicariously feel like my coffee transports me to <laughs> some distant land i'm in uganda today.
0: I, that'd be quite cool actually i wonder if there's like these like, at-home immersive experiences where you, you could have coffee from Uganda. You could listen to the music. You could put some mood lighting on and feel that like you're there. <laughs> you should
1: that you've given that idea away. I know. <laughs> now. That's a great idea.
0: A massive podcast listening. That could be it. It's so
1: true. It's so true because I think you know the evocation of the place. It's not just the taste. It's the whole experience, isn't it? I mean, if you think of almost everything. Anyway, we'll come on to that later. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, if you could bring back any fashion trend what would it be um
1: it would be a well i was a bit i was i was the second generation mod so i think that you know i think it would be second generation mod or a new romantic
0: nice (laughs) what has been your favorite item you've purchased this year
1: my trusted microphone
0: oh very good Yeah, there we go. So have you been doing lots of recordings and things during this time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. How do you like your eggs? Over easy. What's your most used emoji? A heart. Very nice. And lastly, I mean, you touched on it. I guess Uganda was a great answer. But lastly, a quick fun fact about you.
1: Um, Yeah, lived for quite a lot of time in Africa, born there and i was born i was married um in india had a full hindu wow. wedding ceremony in uh, rajasthan india arriving at the wedding on elephants fantastic
0: no gosh and that ro- roller yeah can a roller Well, it's, i mean that's it's, it's, it's a spectacle in itself i've had some friends that've had uh, traditional weddings and like it's like you know looks yeah. beautiful
1: yeah Uh, yeah it was a three-day ceremony we persuaded we lived in london and we persuaded about 100 people including friends from india we took over a fortification called nimrana and um, about 70 people traveled there which was quite staggering we thought no one would turn up and 70 people did many had never been to india and we Basically, it was New Year. So this New Year's will be my anniversary. And we actually um, had three days of festivities, much like a Hindu wedding. And it was magical. It was absolutely magical. Everyone went on and did a little holiday. Nice. Uh, and uh,
0: yeah. Lovely. Well, that's the end of the icebreaker round. Around. So great, great to, to get to know you. Um, let's get down to business. So, Paul, would you please describe yourself and what you do? Um,
1: I think what best describes me is a scrappy, <laughs> um, mongrel, actually, you know, I'm, I'm quite a hybrid in the sense that mother and father were very, uh, different. My mother was Dutch born in Sri Lanka. My father was very English. Warmington is a very English name from Dorset, um, but, uh, uh traveled the world, um, I think I've always liked a very curious individual. So um, in my advertising professional career, I've been straddled, obviously media services, but also strategic and planning. I've been an account planner, I guess. Um, Ran a creative agency alongside uh, a a burgeoning media business in, in my earlier days, my formative years in the UK. So, you know, I would say I'm a you know, poacher, gamekeeper, mongrel. Um, and, you know, I love living in the intersections between, you know, different concentric circles, you know, where content meets context and contact. I, I kind of believe that you, if you distill where magic happens in our business, it's at that wonderful fusion of those three simple C's, uh, but, Incredibly complex to pull off, with you know, pull it off with great, you know, with great imagination. But uh,
0: yeah, and you're now currently um, CEO of Canvas Worldwide. What what is that business?
1: Yeah, well, we um, we launched it five years ago, and I think we felt that there was a opportunity not just in America, but Worldwide for um, a media services company that was future focused. So, what I mean is, a lot of the media services agendas have been set by the holding companies, the big IPGs and WPPs and the Group Ms. And obviously they're giants, they 800 pound gorillas, but in a digitally centric world, that notion of clout that Martin Sorrell propagated with the unbundling of media is no longer relevant. You know, Um, and I think with the evolution of content as well, the platforms and the forms of content and the techniques, you know, we just felt that there was just a great opportunity again, in these concentric circles to be a manufacturer producer and inventor if you like across the customer journey uh, focused in media services so obviously what used to be called media planning and buying but obviously liberated (laughs) outside of that definition now Um, And we've done incredibly well. Um, What's, what's amazing. I think we also felt like being nimble, faster, but scaled was something that clients were really interested in. So we were able to be scaled at the outset with some founding clients. So we're about 450 people now. So we see ourselves as the logical independent um, uh, contender, challenger to the big holding companies. Um, So does that help describe it? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay.
0: <laughs> and we'll get more into the nitty gritty shortly, but I'd just like to rewind slightly. Uh, and, you know, you describe yourself as a renaissance entrepreneur, of the media, advertising, digital marketing and comms industry. Um, you know, you've held, you know, many positions at quite some established businesses and, and you've kind of made that journey over to America. So it'd be great if you could just, Describe a little bit more about kind of your career journey to date, some of those key highlights and and why you 've ended up now in the states
1: yeah, and I, maybe it picks up on what I said earlier. Um, I, my formative years in the business were in London during a time where London was still the greatest center of advertising um, craft um, and luckily, you know in those great days of Soho and Covent Garden and you know you you you'd rub shoulders with with the greats you know whether it was you know great production companies or agencies um but i felt a restlessness and um our agency was bought by a big international network and i it, you know and of course what comes with that is suddenly you're infused with all these big international american brands so i was lucky enough to then know in a professional capacity visit new york quite a bit um but also notwithstanding dallas and los angeles um and i was smitten i think as a kid um america was obviously this this kind of mythical land you know whether it was hollywood or you know the empire state building it was something and, and the sheer scale of it was so impressive. You know, you walk into, you know, the corporate headquarters of a, an ad agency or a big client in America. Merrill Lynch was a client and, you know, they were in, you know, in Wall Street and you'd, you'd walk into Wall Street or you'd, you know, the, the if you remember the film Big um, with Tom Hanks, it was about a toy shop and Tom Hanks plays. Well, that was actually the agency. So the, the, the international network that bought our agency was headquartered in uh, on 23rd street in what was an ex toy um department store it was a department store really but it was a toy uh, it was a toy store in in big so it was these you know this so i was very smitten and um i thought that that network would transfer me because they were very interested in my work both in the uk but also increasingly internationally but ironically probably um, because I was then very curious, I got hired by IPG. So I never actually I moved, um, and that was the journey. That was back in ninety six. So I I was one of the first media accents. Um, clearly, the um, you know Britain has exported great actors, actresses, and, and advertising executives. There were quite a few creatives, but um, so I, I then described the journey as the first part of the journey was. Because I had a funny accent, because Europe was a much more a sophisticated media marketplace, you know the independents like CIA and Cara had existed. So I think that uh, largely we were coming off the Madman era in in America, Madison Avenue, full, you know, two three thousand people in these these amazing buildings in Midtown, um, but. The, the die was cast, you know, Sorrel was already on the journey to unbundling at WPP and I was brought in. And so my first chapter was to be the entrepreneur within those large organizations. So writing the blueprint to what became, you know, two of then the, the, the global media independence. So that was a really interesting first journey. It was the unbundling, the professionalization of media services, creating a and running it running media not just as a department but as a vital part of the ecosystem with its own p and l so it gave me business acumen it obviously gave me you know the creative acumen of, of of building a business what does it mean look like you know we didn't really have we had the independence to 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 guide us, but the independents were true entrepreneurs we were we were more you know the the entrepreneur. We were we were so that was the first iteration. The second iteration, I think, was, um, you know, one of the companies I worked at, Young and Rubicam, which was my second job in the US, went public, and I was part of the executive that went public. So that was interesting, taking a large, then storied, um, holding company, independent holding company, public. So that was interesting, but then. Quickly after that, Sorrel bought y and I thought there was two options. Continue to be a Lieutenant of Martins in an even larger conglomerate or cash out and go and do your own thing. So the itch was just there. So I pivoted. The word of the year, by the way, with the ANA is pivot. <laughs> so, uh, the, 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 so I pivoted. And I felt like um, I wanted... Strategy to be more important in media services. But at that point in time, clout and aggregation and, you know, price was a more determinant factor. So I zagged and I went and created the Media Kitchen. So the second chapter was I said, let's go and become the most creative media agency. So while everyone is aggregating, becoming big, and and to my view, faceless, mm. I went the route. So the second chapter, I think, was... Um, then I also chaired the uh, first ever non-creative competition at can. So can at the time, the can you know Lions festival, was really still a, a very, very creative. It was just you know um, best film, best you know it was it was best design. Um, and the first non-creative competition was the media Lions because I went and argued <laughs> that media was the new creative. And so um, some people blame me for now can being like 455 competitions. But uh, um, so that was the second chapter. We sold that business to a um, a, a medium-sized holding group called MDC Partners, um, who own Anomaly and 72 and Sunny and Crispin Porter and various others. Um, But then I had another itch. And that itch was naked communication, so I think that you could see that the world was becoming more complex primarily because of digital channels had suddenly you know atomized um, the first wave of the atomization of uh, communications via digital you know those early earlier days of Google and Facebook and obviously the social platforms. but what it meant was clients the, the, the role for clients of integration. Creating an idea that lives across even more channels was even more challenging because obviously prior to that, you were maybe creating ideas that lived in a limited number of channels. And now those channels are doubled and trebled. So Naked was this idea that um, we give you the naked truth in a world of vested interests. Who gives you the naked truth? So I really like that strategic idea. And it was actually an idea at y and Y&R group had one of everything. They didn't have five of everything like Martin Sorrell. So they had, you know, Y&R Advertising, Wonderman Direct Marketing, Mercer Marsteller PR, Cohen and Wolf, Landor Corporate Identity, and the Media Edge is what I helped create. And so the idea of this neutral, neutral approach to how you craft communications and then how you integrate across all disciplines was something that fascinated me. And that was actually at the heart of the kind of um, the, the business idea of Naked. Um, the other part of Naked was it was, a, you know, it was a, a, a group of brilliant misfits. So, you know, we loved, we had very um, uh, odd shaped people um, who were all brilliant, and that was you know a wonderful chapter. So it gave me wonderful creative uh, license, um, and then and and th- and obviously you know the next chapters was so that was obviously a successful chapter. We took Naked around the world. Um, I wasn't one of the original founders. Naked was founded in London, um, uh, John, John, and Will, but I joined. At the holding company level, as a as a kind of, and I founded the Americas with with some other partners. So that was also a fantastic journey. Um, and and really, I think you know our business. I think my journey has reflected um, you know the timing of some of the big seismic shifts in the industry. Um, so whether it was you know that first wave of change into media communications second wave of change into media being much more creative third wave of the complexity you know how do you provide um uh, sanity and um clarity in a world of complexity and i think today i would say that you know we're on that next wave of change which i think is the data wave um and 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 more of those iterations of every other wave and of course we've we've just been under Probably the most seismic change that will accelerate that other word of the year, um, COVID. Um, so you know, I think we've been we've been doing um, you know pretty well under COVID, bearing in mind all the circumstances. So actually, Canvas comes through the end of this year um, in a healthy state. In fact, we've hired seventy people under lockdown since uh, May. So it's qu- quite quite, you know, because we've won business, because some of our clients have come back stronger, or at least are coming back stronger, um, you know, from the early, um, you know, shocks. So um, that was quite a long descriptor of the journey, but uh, I'm not, I'm not a lifer at one company, as you can tell.
0: Oh, I love that. And I love, um, you know, playing to your strengths and, you know, kind of going with your, you know, your gut and your itches, as you described. Um couple of things that you said then uh, in terms of when you first went to the, to the States, I mean, would you, you know, in those earlier days, as you said, coming out of the kind of the mad men era, was it, was it strange being someone from the UK there? Was it, was it, was did it provide you with a different perspective and kind of make you special when you were there? What would you, what would be the answer?
1: Yeah. All of the above. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, firstly, you know, this is the weird thing. Um, What is it? 24, 25 years now um and obviously you know i'll jump in an uber or, or, or a yellow cab in manhattan and when the you know the the driver turns around and say are you visiting i go what do you mean i'm visiting because i can't actually hear my own accent so i go no i'm an i'm a fully signed up new yorker what are you talking about um it's an anecdote i think um you know about adapting to your circumstances. Um, but of course, yeah, I think um, it was, you know, Winston Churchill summed it up, we're two countries divided by one common language. Um, and I think that, you know, it. it is interesting the nuance of obviously english accent i think a lot of people have always said it gives you a few extra iq points so i can i can do i can do with all help i can get so you know maybe that helped a little bit i think that the the big benefits were that europe was a melting pot of creativity um and um entrepreneurship you know god bless the uk for you know reinventing itself and a lot of the entrepreneurs, you know, um, reinventing themselves with new offerings. And I think that was something that, you know, Madison Avenue actually had not benefited from. It was largely these, these scale businesses have been around for a long, long time. and had dominated for many many years, and I think when I got here, it was that point when you know there were there were some significant changes happening around, and um, I think they were you know open ears for new perspectives. Um, America can sometimes feel like Galapagos, you know, it it, it 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 it's it's got its own ecosystem that has developed over time you know, around its borders and the sheer scale and size of the marketplace. But um, I would say, and one anecdote, um, we were at a, um, I was sitting next to a gentleman called Philip Krakowski, who just as um, beginning of next year will be promoted to CEO of IPG um, and um, uh, an exec, um, Peter, uh, an exec who's Canadian. And we, w- we were at a dinner roasting uh, someone who's retiring from yr And it was at the River Cafe, not um, not Ruth Rogers River Cafe in London, but the River Cafe that over is on Brooklyn and it overlooks the skyline. It was a beautiful venue. And I remember looking at the top table, and there were four, there were four ex CEOs of YR. And their collective number of years in the business was like 150 years. And they were legends. You know, they, you know, a guy called Ed Ney had gone on to become, you know, the, the American ambassador to Canada. You know, there they were um, there they were these legendary figures. And I remember talking to Philippe and uh, Peter, who was on my um, Peter Stringham, actually, who, who was Canadian and just saying, you know, this is the end of an era you know i remember reflecting on it being the end of an era that actually you you would never see this again in the future that you would be able to be at a roast where you would have this collective knowledge and this collective um and and that was the specialness you know it was um walking the corridors there was something just fascinating about being in a different context sheer scale and size so i hope that answers the question a little bit but yes it was um it was good to see that tail end of that little Madman era. Um, I'll give you one other anecdote. There's a gentleman called John McGarry, who was actually never technically CEO of R, And John McGarry um, went on to found an agency called McGarry Bowen, which has been hugely successful, was bought by MDC Partners. Uh, no, sorry, uh, it was bought by Dentsu, actually. Sorry, I, I, I apologize. It's, it's, it's one of their global networks now. But John was a legendary client guy. And I remember him calling in, you know, I went to a meeting in his office, we were supposed to be pitching a minor part of Citibank. It was like the corporate part of Citibank. Uh, and it was one of my first pitches at YNR. So, and, and there were only like three or four of us in the room with John. And he then unveiled his plan. His plan was to audaciously write a presentation, which we were going to take to the vice chairman and the global CMO of Citibank and basically give them an argument why they should consolidate every single part of the business, not just in America, but globally. And everyone else, every other competing agency is working on this. <laughs> and we worked really on this business plan and we pitched it and won it. It was just before I think hour went public. So it was, but it was just, you know, you just realized the chutzpah and the trust and the relationships that those, you know, those great account guys had in the day, yeah. you know, it, to have the trust and the relationship to be able to walk in and say, well, you thought we were going to pitch this, but we're actually coming in to pitch this and then win it, you know? And and, and it was, anyway, it was extraordinary, but you know, those things were kind of legendary tales and and could only happen in, you know, in, in America in a way. So that was the itch I had. I had the itch. I I was, as I said, a, a vagabond, slash mongrel and therefore you know new york
0: suited me i
1: i i've i've loved every minute of living in new york yeah
0: I've gone are the days now of the silver trolley with cigars and whiskey On,
1: <laughs> <laughs> i never saw those but definitely you could see the vestige of you know those the corner office you know i didn't even understand what corner office was uh you know um uh, and and then you know you had your corner office with your views and you you know I'm yeah I'm I'm sure yeah your cocktail cabinet in the corner. <laughs>
0: um, yeah. Something that resonated a lot with me is kind of your your uh, verbiage around being an entrepreneur. Um, was that challenging? You know, kind of especially maybe in the earlier days, like you know I've I'm Paul I've got all these crazy ideas and like you know because I can imagine. You know, even even today, I mean, as you kind of quite eloquently described, those different chapters of transformation, as we've seen within the industry Uh, and at each stage, you've you've been well positioned to kind of be an entrepreneur and come up with these new ideas. Um, Was it more difficult at the start? And then obviously now it's kind of more expected to come up with the kind of crazy ideas or how was that? Being
1: yeah, that's a, it's a fantastic question because, yeah, I would basically say the difference between an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur, An entrepreneur, you know, it's your money, generally speaking, you know, you really are, you know, uh, make, you know, those, those bold decisions that you make, um, you know, can affect your pocket um, and, and often, you know, an entrepreneur, um, you know, is, 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 is liberated I guess from a corporate structure. You know that's the big difference is so an entrepreneur has to work within a corporate structure. So I'd say the big difference and the thing I learned very quickly in, in that in those roles in the big holding companies was the degree to which you you kind of needed to influence and persuade. So you know a big part of your job at the leadership level was education, influence and uh, persuasion because obviously that was because, you know, an intre- uh, if you're an entrepreneur, you know, you just go and do it, just do it. I mean, obviously, you have to have the business acumen, you've got to understand how you might raise money, all those other things. Whereas in an entrepreneurial environment, which I was in at IPG, and then YNR, and then WPP, you know, the, the 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 nature of it, particularly, I think, in those early days, I, 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 I guess the biggest barrier and drivers I had, the driver I had was that The market was changing. People like Sorrel were, you know, headline news about the developments in certain areas. So that was something that couldn't be ignored. The board could not ignore that. I think the barrier was that they had done, they had the muscle memory. They'd done things in the way that they'd done them for years. So muscle memory is a recurring theme that I've always used. You know, there's muscle memory at every, you know, there's currently, there's a lot of muscle memory today, but back then, I think that the, the muscle memory was, you know, should we just unbundle this? Um, you know, and, and and I think for many of the people, you know, and, and the last thing is, um greed ego and control <laughs> you know because and the, and, the, and those come in different combinations in a big organization um, you know greed could be well you know I'm the CFO of this division I don't want to lose that part of my P l Um ego can be ego and control can actually be variations on the same thing, but they're a little bit different, you know, um, you know, the creative egos, I think that existed in Madison Avenue at the time were, you know, were were overinflated. I mean, you know, in, in, in many ways. Um, um, so does that help a bit, um, you know, compare and contrast? Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I love that answer. Thank you. Um, Someone that's kind of really (laughs) seen transformations within the industry. I'm quite intrigued to ask you this question. Um, You know, a lot of people were quite well versed on how to place uh, advertising and, you know, the media strategies across radio, TV, out of home, print, et cetera. Can you remember the time where all of a sudden there was this kind of new toolkit given to you by the likes of the Googles and the Facebooks? And I suppose there was a huge education, like, you know, not only for... Massive agencies and and adv- and advertisers, but also then the clients, and it, it's like almost like Google just went here you go, uh, and Facebook went here you go, and then you're like, you know, shit. How do I put this together? Like, what was that like?
1: Yeah, and um, it, it, yeah, I. There's two answers to it. I I do remember certain inflection points where you kind of the light bulb went off, but I think like all these things, it's, you know. It, the, the, the each year the change accelerated but not to the degree where you suddenly went oh my god it was like y2k remember y2k you know there, there was suddenly there was going to be this big you know issue that all computers were going to be affected at a certain point mm-hmm. there was' there was never that kind of moment because I think these things even though yes the change, you know moore's law that one of the founders of in uh, of um uh, intel you know it, it's about the doubling of memory capacity within a, a you know a, um a microchip was um you know a, analogous to uh, the industry change you know obviously that the the doubling of new 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 content forms etc etc but didn't it didn't have as much of a so so um I would say that, but but one of the inflection points, I think, was um, actually, and it's before I left the UK, and I do remember putting on a conference um, and a, a guy who worked at Apple at the time, a jazz, um, who's, who, who went on to found AKQA. Wow. Was, this, was this incredibly young guy who was a speaker. My team from this international network from San Francisco, you know, Silicon Valley had come over and we had a guest speaker from um, Google, you know, literally. I remember thinking, what is this Google thing? You know, but we put this on um, we were hosted at... Um, Uh, you know, a theater. I think it was BAFTA. We took over BAFTA in Piccadilly and we had a full crowd. And I think that was my light bulb moment. And that probably also said I needed to be in America because obviously you really felt like San Francisco, the Bay Area, um, Silicon Valley, you know, um, were the epicenter of obviously where the technology was going to happen. You had Hollywood, which obviously loomed large over everyone's content universe and then you had New York where you had really the corporate headquarters of every global media company whether it's Rupert Murdoch's Fox and you know that, that was that was literally where did Murdoch Murdoch at that point had moved really his center of gravity from the UK newspapers to the US where he now owned you know 20th century fox he owned fox but you know that so i think New York really felt like that place where you know, um, the decisions were taken. I mean, you know, Adland was very, very dominantly positioned, um, you know, out of New York. All the all the holding company HQs were there.
0: Mm. I thought um, it was quite interesting as well, because I, you, I remember this, like, wave of just lots of independent, like, social media creative agencies being set up effectively by students graduating or just leaving university, when that kind of huge wave of Facebook kind of came to fruition. And I thought that was incredibly interesting, even like things like the audience, which went on to like manage all of the, you know, the A-list and famous celebrities. And I think that, you know, that was then sold. And then, you know, just, it's just kind of, it just snowballed and then now it's the norm. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, no, and, and, you know, and and obviously someone will chronicle this, but I think if you put it on a timeline, I mean, you know, we're, we're in a TikTok thriller world at the moment, you know, what's the next platform that's going to explode, you know, but obviously you're right, you know, the YouTube, you know, the era of YouTube and YouTube influencers, everyone was scrambling a few years ago, you know, what is the value of an influencer, but then you, you know, you backtrack it, but, but, you know, um, having been in America and seen the rise of the Facebooks and the Googles, um, I remember going to Cannes and actually doing, uh, for Naked Communications, we had a, a session on the main stage. And I managed to persuade two of my clients and one really good friend to come on the stage. We called it a Naked Conversation. And I had one of the top guys from uh, Nike. I had a friend of mine from Coke, uh, Jonathan Mildenhall. I had Stefan Olander from Nike. And I had Andy Burnt from Google. And Andy had just left Ogilvy, to go and set up a thing called the Creative Lab at Google, a really interesting kind of, you know, center of excellence for creativity within Google, um, which is an oxymoron actually, (laughs) creativity in Google. But Andy was great. But I remember actually Andy coming to to Cannes. He'd been there obviously in prior capacity. He'd worked at Widen and Kennedy and worked at Ogilvy. But it was that year, I believe, Um, and I'll I'll remember the date, Uh, I'll get back to you on the date, but not that long ago, Andy was one of three people, two or three people from Google who were at Cannes. Last year, Google took over an entire hotel they have for many years, and I'm guessing they have, you know, five, six, 700 people at Cannes. So you just see, I mean, that just as a metaphor for the growth and where maybe only 15 years ago, Andy was one of two or three people that was, you know, was looking at, well, what, what should Google do here? So you've used that as a metaphor, not the physical presence at Can, but their presence in the industry. You look at how transformative and how dominant the conversations today are around, you know, platforms and the influence that they have amongst clients. And yet, you know, yes, and and, and YouTube is a creative platform. But search, which is still underpins everything, is not really, I mean, yes, you can be creative in your analytics and your um, ways in which you think about search, but it's not per se um, a platform that, let's say, your traditional creative is going to jump up and down and get excited about. And yet, you know, you look at how dominant something like search is for our industry, you just just look at it. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get too nerdy about it, but I think going back to that. Timeline, you know, you're, you know, and that's wonderful because it keeps you on your toes. We've got streaming at the moment, and obviously the streaming wars. I'm very close to a lot of very senior executives involved in launching Peacock or Disney, you know, HBO, you know, the latest announcements that, you know, Warner Warner um, Brothers, yeah, is going to release this year all of its, you know, blockbusters straight to HBO. Max.
0: Yeah, um, I read that. quite controversial because I think a lot of the filmmakers like Christopher Nolan not Christopher have-
1: Nolan is 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 well Tennant was he he was determined that Tennant, and I think a lot of people the movie industry and the theat- theatricals and the and theaters were hoping that Tennant would you know be the, the 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 first glimpse of getting out of covid but uh, how how little did we know this was you know this is going to be an 18 20 month um you know, timeline, you know, from the beginning. Anyway, um, yeah, you're 100% right. Um, You know, people craft their stories and uh, in the belief that the magic of that theatrical experience is where it should be best consumed as opposed to, you know, as opposed to your phone.
0: Yeah, so on that, I mean, you hear this a lot by kind of some of the the industry greats and it's a, a topic that's been, discussed a lot but it'd be great to get your two cents on it um this kind of whole notion that you know creativity is dead because there's so much volume required and and gone are the days of the craft and kind of those you know glory days that you mentioned I mean do you believe in that statement
1: no that's hogwash you know I think that that, um I've said it a few times but I think there's magic that counterbalances the logic. I, I definitely think the pendulum has shifted away from, you know, a, p- a pendulum has shifted a little too far in the direction of the logic, you know, the the, the engineering um, uh, data science side of it, which is critical, by the way, don't get me wrong. I think that just in this, um, you know, the influence that Google had towards the lower funnel um, and, the, and the development of huge categories like DTC have obviously meant that a lot of those businesses were largely built off lower funnel acquisition metrics, uh, you know, not creative, more the logical side of the business, the algorithm, but we all know, you know, the interesting, you know, and, and, um, but the magic, I think will always counterbalance that there's still the magic of Travis Scott being partnered recently with McDonald's um, the magic of the Colin Kaepernick Communication last year, I think, from Nike, very brave move for Nike to do that. You know, the, and, and underlying every, I think, um, logical decision, every rational decision, really, I think um, psychology will, uh, um, and, and there's enough scientific evidence to show that the emotional, there is always an emotional context. It, it's sometimes um, latent. Um, in 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 our um, cortex, but it, it is uh, so. I think the magic the magic of ideas. I think the the, the difference is you know, how you craft an idea. Um, we spent a lot of time in, in a prior life um, thinking about what is a big idea. You know, I think big ideas historically were expressed through a TV commercial. And I don't think that's a big idea. I think that's an expression of an idea. That's just one of the many multitude of channels we use. It's, it's one of the most powerful. We call it video now. But I think that what you look for is an idea that, you know, can transcend any medium, um, and um, has has depth and breadth. Um, and, and, you know, that's the test. I often found that, you know, an idea that felt very emotional in a video context didn't necessarily expand to your internal workforce, your, you know, your retail outlets, or, or potentially to, you know, your social strategies and etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but it's a great question. I think the magic... You know, and I think what we're seeing is, you know, a lot of people talking about data. Data has obviously been the, the discussion of, you know, it being the new electricity that, that kind of runs everything in our worlds. Um, but I do think that, you know, the, the again, a, a, a much used phrase this year was connecting the human part to data. And I think that's an interesting evolution uh, that we will see for creativity is really understanding that they're not, just numbers, these are real human beings. And I think if we're, we were always in the persuasion game. I was a part of a a, a PBS and BBC documentary called The Persuaders. And it was about, you know, the ad industry and we were persuaders. But, you know, we're about actually behavior changers, aren't we? We're we're about, you know, getting someone to shift from brand A to brand B, to adopt a new behavior, to do something, to act on something. So I think that there's also now this balance between active participation Mm. Um, and passive, so the lean back versus the lean forward part of our communication. And I think it just takes a deeper level of appreciation of the platforms and the channels as much as the message. And that comes back to you know content, context and contact is the nirvana. If they're in isolation, then that's where you get the dis, you know disintermediate, not disintermediate, you get the disruption um, uh, to the great flow. If you can get the right message to the right people in the right context through the right platform, that's um, – but you're right. The, the the challenge is how do you now encompass so many different techniques? And I might talk about this in another question. I've got this um, – uh, I created um, – well, I iterated on something that existed, but I, I do some storytelling um, – uh, work at Columbia university and we created a thing called the periodic table of content. And it's kind of follows the periodic table. So if you think the world, the world that we live in is made up of all these chemical, chemical, chemicals in the periodic table, I, I thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting to talk about a story world, everything in the story world can actually be all these different, um, you know, um, content forms and techniques and kPIs and and ways you use it. so we kind of built it out but I think it was a, it, it was illustrative of the complexity today because you know you, you, if I asked you how many you know how many channels and techniques can you think of you might be able to think of eight or nine well we kept building you know this was this this was literally like a periodic table with you know multiple multiple complex, Um, So that's the thing, you you know, the magic still comes from, and by the way, because there's a periodic, and because there's 360 and there's everything, it doesn't mean to say you have to use everything. You know, sacrifice is one of the great strategic um, things. So what are the best channels and techniques for us to use based on the task of communication that we have based on our business problem?
0: Love it. Well... Paul, unfortunately, I think we should have booked out about four hours for you. I'm <laughs> such a great discussion. Um, we've we've only got five minutes left, unfortunately. And I know that you've got, yeah, yeah, But um, love that, and I and I completely agree. I think you know, in terms of um, the the kind of the audience, the consumer actually becoming you know part of that narrative or, or the story or the the brand equity and and all of that kind of crossover. You're seeing so much, and and as you said, that kind of creative collaboration and. Enhanced layers of engagement, you know, the two-way dialogue is is super exciting to see. And it's great, great to see that you guys are focused on that at Canvas Worldwide. Um, last two questions. Uh kind of quick answer. What are you curious about? What are you excited by the future?
1: Change. You know, I just love embracing change. I think the most exciting things come out of living outside your comfort zone. So I think embracing the notion that we're going through, you know, um actually you know, probably the most dynamic changes to consumer behavior uh, coming out of COVID, the acceleration of obviously um, ways we live, um, ways that we behave, ways that we interact with communications. The, you know, the, the um, EQ to the IQ part, I think is also coming back to the magic. I think there's a great opportunity for even more magic. I, I think great brands will emerge post-COVID, um, because there will be an inflection point, you know, where the challenger can come in, and I hope that would be the same within our industry. So that's probably what keeps me up at night, and or most excited. Um, so it's not, it's 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 not a negative, uh, but I think embracing and understanding that through change, um, new marketplaces are created, new opportunities are created, um, and you know, and you just have to um, think harder to solve new. Uh, interesting problems or challenges. Yeah.
0: And what advice would you have for a young person looking to get into the creative industry?
1: Um, grit and, and curiosity. Um, you know, I think that wonderful blend of the two that just came to mind. I think the curiosity is that if you really want to be successful in this business, embrace it as if it's a passion. Um, I've always loved this industry. Um, I believe you know it's much more than that word advertising. It's communication. It's behaviour. It's understanding consumers. It's every you know. Where else would you get the opportunity to work on you know three or four different categories in 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 you know in a week you know across my clients? Um, so I think curiosity. Curiosity obviously to read to learn. Um, the and the grit is, you know, grit and determination is just I think to succeed you've you've just got to have the because we're well, certainly agencies, you're a service industry, or even if you were in a client environment, um, you know, uh you you've got to roll with the punches, you've got to pick yourself up, you've got to make mistakes. And I think grit means you make the mistake, you learn and you move forward. And obviously um that's important. Um and the last thing I think is just just understand. Um, I love, um, you know, this reverse mentoring. I mentor a lot of people, but I'm as curious to understand what's happening in, you know, the the brain of a 22 year old. Many many of them have joined Canvas. And beyond that, I've got a few initiatives. In fact, I've got a board meeting for the Miami Ad School this afternoon, um, which is a global ad school that's got, you know, 13, 14 schools around the world. And I mentor a number of students, you know, who are the next generation of creatives coming into our industry. And I kind of remind them, the last thing I remind them is that you have such a disproportionate advantage to me because you're living vicariously a 22 year old's life. You you don't have as much muscle memory. Um, You know, you're native often in the platforms that other people are reading about. So, leverage that understand how you your cohorts behave um and that automatically gives you that you know that that degree of um you know um advantage in in some ways just as you enter the business embrace that um um, and um yeah so i think those the the guidelines
0: Awesome and last question: How many takes did it take for your "We Are Canvas Worldwide" video that you put on your website?
1: Oh, that's so sweet of you!
0: Yeah, it
1: was fantastic. <laughs> it was, it was. Um, we had about a day of filming, one day of filming, believe it or oh, not. Wow. And um, you know, lots of different um, uh, locations. It was actually shot in our Los Angeles beautiful office um, that you know I've I've been sad we haven't been able to go back into, but you know, beautiful. Um, contemporary space in uh, Silicon beach, actually, which is just uh, in, in Los Angeles there. And um, yeah, there there weren't too many. It was one of those ones. I think we we were not, we didn't have Stanley Kubrick uh, directing. We weren't on like take 64. (laughs) Um, I think the most on any one take was kind of three because it was quite disruptive because, you know, you, you had to gather people or you had to kind of walk around the office uh, but it was it was a screen. We're doing a lot more on video. We actually just shot a holiday card where we did Zoom. We we did between two ferns recently, where one of my team interviewed me. He he, he channeled his inner, um, you know. It, 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 um, we've had a lot of fun even under lockdown so you know whether it's not taking yourself too seriously seriously <laughs> um, and our holiday card is very much in the vein of we're not taking ourselves too seriously um, but while while at the same time acknowledging you know the seriousness of obviously the pandemic that's been around us but uh, uh, yeah you got you gotta smile otherwise I think you go mad
0: absolutely well sadly that is all the time we have for today paul you've been absolutely fantastic thank you so much for sharing all the insight um and yeah been super super interesting thank you
1: yeah and here's to you mate um i love the podcast and uh, thank you for inviting me had a lot of fun
0: so welcome thank you bye bye alex thanks for listening i hope this podcast can intrigue inspire and provide some key tips and tricks for a lot of people I would really appreciate your help to grow the community. If you know anyone that you think would enjoy this podcast, then please send it their way. And if you can subscribe and leave a review, it would mean so much and it really supports the show. Thank you and see you next week.